Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us. My name is Rob Anderson. I'll be today's host, and I'm excited to welcome our panel of three wonderful modernization industry vets to the show. Uh, first, we have David Werman, Global VP of Sales for Application Modernization here at Advanced. He brings nearly four decades of experience and quite a long track record in mainframe modernization with him to the table. Welcome, David. Next, we have Tim Jones. Tim's MD, Managing Director of AppMod here at Advanced. And aside from skippering our ship, uh, he boasts many years of experience in the space as well. Uh, and finally, we have, of course, last but not least, John Regan. John's Head of Development Central Services here at Advanced. You guys have met John before on some of our previous shows. He heads delivery of the services most of you are here to learn about today. And he does so with over 25 years of experience in the space. Thanks, guys, for joining me. Um, before we jump into talking about the results of the report and, and what it means for us, both as modernizers as well as for you uh, as folks looking into modernization, I want to talk a little bit about how the report was conducted to give you some background. Uh, as you likely know, we recently published our 2022 mainframe modernization business barometer report. Nice short title for you. Um, this is the third that we've published. And the purpose of the discussion is to dig into some of the findings of that report and cover any questions that you have as an audience. Um, so as we go, please feel free to drop those questions into the chat. Um, the way that this was carried out is that we engaged the expertise of a company called Coleman Parks Research to conduct the survey itself. And together, we work to establish a representative population of potential respondents based first on whether they had a mainframe, second, where they were in the world, and third, the industry that they hailed from. You can see the table on the right provides respondent counts by industry and geography. And as mentioned in the report, the attempt here was to ensure that this smaller population was as representative of the broader population of mainframe users and their distributions in sector and place. Um, it was conducted, this survey was conducted in May and June of this year, and it targeted 416 individuals. Uh, most of those folks were enterprise architects, CIOs or heads of IT, application managers and or program or project managers that are responsible for modernization tasks. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the, this primary research was split into two stages, if I can speak. Um, first, Coleman Parks conducted the main survey, which consisted of a Q&A type of exchange. Um, basically, the team at Advance gave Coleman Parks our demographics requirements. Then we created a questionnaire under the watchful eye of the experts at Coleman Parks. Uh, and the team there conducted the actual survey against an anonymous population of respondents who met our demographic criteria. So we at Advanced were never exposed to the identity of any of the respondents um, that answered the survey. Uh, so there is a degree of anonymity that came along with this process, which is very important. The second phase of this research consisted of 10 long form interviews. So basically, Coleman Parks came back to us with the results of the initial survey. Uh, we were able to create a follow-up questionnaire to gather more info based on answers to the survey that stood out to us. Um, and then Coleman Parks went back and conducted those 
10 interviews again with an anonymous population uh, and delivered the results after the fact. Um, the aggregate of these two exercises, both pieces of, of primary research, are what fed the report that we published a couple of weeks back um, that I'm sure you've had a chance to read through, or hopefully. So with that out of the way, let's quickly talk about what our group of respondents looks like. Um, you can see on the left-hand side of your screen the, uh, the sectors that were represented. Uh, and again, the attempt here was to as accurately represent the broader mainframe market as much as possible. Um, the number of employees average was around 4,727. And again, as I mentioned before, uh, the job titles spanned a few particular areas, uh, but CIO and heads of and or heads of IT were, were sort of the top groups. From a revenue perspective, our, our respondents' companies averaged 4.2 billion US dollars per year, um, and they spent 11% of their annual revenue on their IT budget on average. Um, among them and among their initiatives, digital transformation and innovation was listed as top with 47% telling us that that was their top priority for 2022. And when we asked about plans to reduce dependency on mainframes. In other words, where are you planning to take this stuff and what are you planning to do? Um, you can see the distribution of, of responses more broadly down at the bottom. 67% to cloud, 63% to distributed IT solutions, including um, private clouds, data centers, et cetera, and so on. Now let's jump into the actual conversation here, guys. Um, the first thing that, that I'd like to touch on is the spend. Uh, so so I, I don't think that this is gonna be a surprise to anyone that's, that's on the show today. Um, mainframes are expensive. Uh, there's a reason. They are secure, they're phenomenal transaction machines, and uh, they're tried and true and have been the trusted workhorses of business for the better part of 40 plus years. Uh, we do know from a lot of our conversations that the costs of keeping these systems running is increasing, while the costs of alternative infrastructure like cloud providers is decreasing. So there's a really interesting conversation happening out there about what to do when it comes to the value that is coming from mainframe spend. Uh, John, question for you, you know, when, when you're in the field, speaking with folks who are looking to make a move or who are on their way, um, has there been anything, especially recently, let's say within the last 12 months, that stood out to you as a common driver that may not have been something that you've seen in the past or or that seems much more underlined than before? Yeah, um, thanks, Rob. Um, money's always at the root of most people's modernization plans. <clears throat> Normally, it starts off about the money. Um, but increasingly, I think we're starting to see the the skills being an issue. Um, the fact that all the guys who know anything about the mainframe are getting older and getting white beards like me, um, and are starting to think about maybe retiring. Um, so that's increasingly becoming an issue for people where they can't find the skills required to keep their mainframes going. Um, so I'd say that's become much more of a driver uh, over the, over the last. Um, over the last few months, uh, few months and years, um, and maybe maybe some security issues as well. I think we're going to touch on that as well in the presentation, aren't we? 
We will, yeah. And and of course, you know, the basic economics, of course, is scarcity increases, as does price. And and that, that is the connection. I think the I think the other sorry, Rob, just on that slide, the I mean sixty five million dollars is of course a big number. As you said, we know mainframes are expensive. I think the thing it highlights to me is just how much of that sixty five million dollar spend is if you like keeping the lights on. So maintenance costs, the hardware costs, and actually only 13% of that spend is really driven towards innovation, which is going to move the organization forward. So it's a lot of money to spend, as I said, just to, to keep lights on. Definitely, definitely. And, and, and I think a lot of folks see that spend as a hedge against the risk of change as well. Um, but as we'll see, through some more of the information that we've gathered that that does seem to be changing a little bit too. So one of the questions that we asked uh, is what is the most prominent language in your mainframe estate? Um, and, and there are a couple of questions here that, that I think it's worth noting the um, statistical relevance, <clears throat> excuse me, statistical relevance of the population size. Um, so 416 is, is certainly a, a great representation and the strategic feedback that they provided us about, you know, where their heads are and where their businesses are is, is extremely useful. And, and we can correlate a lot of the attitudes out there in the market through those conversations. But when you ask a question like this, um, it, it, it can be skewed simply because the number of respondents is low compared to the number of total people who might have languages on mainframes. Um, and so while we do include this to show uh, that there is a diversity of different languages out there, um, I, I wouldn't lean super hard on this being the definitive uh, uh, representation of the entire mainframe market. I don't think it's a surprise that COBOL is up top. Uh, and those of us who've been around in the space for a while, uh, you know, Assembler always rears its head. but. Gentlemen, is there anything else that stood out about this to you? Um, any other thoughts? I think it, I think it's it's probably what we expected to see, Rob. As you said, COBOL top of the list. I'm I'm surprised that Assembler comes in such a close second. You know, we talk about the scarcity of resource around COBOL, but if you think of Assembler, you know, 1960s, 70s. My father's 82. Actually, he used to be an Assembler programmer. Um, so it's amazing that that's still so prevalent. So when we talk about resource scarcity, assemblers are really tough language to deal with, as we know. Of, of course, we work on projects where we often, almost always see assemblers, so we know it's there, but it's um, incredible that it factors so highly in the list, I think. The one, the one comment that I would make, Rob, about the assembler would be that um, in the mainframe environment, the assembler tends to be associated with the platform, you know, in doing certain types of functionality. And some of that functionality gets replaced or goes away when you move off that same platform. So in some cases, Assembler might be um, prominent in the estate, um, but it might not be as prominent in its requirement in terms of code volume um, to be migrated off the estate. That's a great point. That is a great point. Thanks, Dave. Definitely. Cool. So top reasons for modernizing mainframes. And, and just a, a quick comment, you'll notice that uh, in, in many of these, the total adds up to over 100%. 
Uh, and the reason for that is that uh, people could provide rank order answers. So you could have, you know, the top language, the second top language, and so on. Uh, and so that is an aggregate representation of those rank orders. Um, we, we have not completely lost our minds, uh, and that's why it looks that way. So top reasons for modernizing mainframes. This was probably the most interesting um, discovery that we made this year. In the past, uh, the, the answers tend to be the answers that we've heard as modernizers for quite some time. Um, you know, it's a, it, there's technical debt, it's cumbersome, it's hard to find the people that know how to work on this stuff, et cetera. Security issues is this is the first year that security issues rose to the top of the list. We were very surprised by this. In fact, this was a big topic of the follow-up interviews that were conducted because we wanted to understand what that meant. Um, anybody who knows mainframes knows that mainframes are inherently incredibly secure. What well, turns out that when we dug a bit deeper with, uh, with the respondents, we being Coleman Parks Research, of course, asking questions that we were interested in the answers to, uh, it, it really came across three areas. Uh, the first area is um, security compliance. So having somebody on staff that understands the languages, databases, and environment enough that they can attest to and step through all of the compliance stuff that's necessary, um, you know, at, at whatever rate is necessary for the compliance standard that you're trying to meet. <clears throat> Excuse me. Second is the increasing attack surface that comes with connectivity to the mainframe to support other modern platforms. So as you're innovating, say, on you know the company mobile app to make sure that you can do, I don't know, uh, take a picture and deposit a check instantaneously, for example, something along those lines, um, those innovations require, in some cases, APIs and, and other pieces of third-party software to connect to things that the mainframe touches or the mainframe itself. Uh, and it appears as though the opinion is that as that attack surface increases in size, the risk of there being a security issue with one of those ancillary pieces uh, rises as well. And finally, and I thought this was the most interesting, uh, was that, that more this year uh, than, than we've seen in the past, um, people are trusting the hyperscalers to secure their infrastructure. In other words, they say, um, you know, AWS, Google Cloud, Microsoft, Oracle, IBM, and others are, are better suited to secure the infrastructure than we are in-house. We would rather take the, we would rather place that risk in their hands by using their, you know, massive infrastructure than taking that entire thing on ourselves, um, which which was really interesting. So it, it turns out, at least from from the follow up conversations that, that we had with folks, that it isn't the security of the mainframe itself that's in question. It really is security, more broadly speaking, and its impact on on the mainframe. Guys, do you have any thoughts about this? Um. Yeah, Rob, I think we're seeing, we are seeing an increasing number of people who want to target the cloud for, I think, for this very reason. Um, so 
cloud's also the cloud also is a good target from a, from a mainframe modernization perspective because typically mainframe workloads tend to be pretty choppy so there's busy times of the day busy times of the month where you need more resources you need more processing power so of course that's perfectly suited to a cloud environment where you can dial things up and down um, but when you add that to the fact that you can also then rely on these cloud, the cloud providers to provide your security and to make sure things are constantly patched and constantly updated and everything is as secure as it possibly can be. Um, you couple those two things together so that the ability to dial up and down resources and the security, then I think it's a very powerful offering. Hey, Rob, my comment uh, on that would be that I see more people saying, okay, I'm going to um, move uh, a subset of my applications or a pretty good, you know, portion of my portfolio off the mainframe and I'm going to move it to a cloud environment. Well, as John was saying, the cloud environment is already provisioned, let's just say with Active Directory or some means for adding, deleting, profiling individuals. Um, so when they're looking at, you know, the, the applications that existed or have existed for decades on the mainframe, and they say maybe those applications had some built-in security aspects um, to them. I don't want to say hard-coded, but they had some you know means of security. And now the rest of the organization is kind of moving into this other security realm, as John was kind of pointing out. Um, that becomes a big issue for me in modernizing. Like I'm going to be moving these applications or modernizing applications. I need to kind of move it, the application security that I was doing before in the mainframe into more of this hybrid environment or maybe a cloud focused environment. And so I can see that, you know, the more of that that goes on, how security can now start rising to the top as you're taking that element outside the, uh, the mainframe. Very good, very good. So as, as a bit of a follow-up to the, the cloud conversation, um, we were curious, you know, what is the target platform? Obviously cloud conversion, pardon me, cloud migration is, is tends to be the topic at hand. Um, but there are lots of combinations of destinations depending on the workloads. And, and Dave, you sort of hinted at this, you know, peeling away certain workloads and and dropping them in the place that makes the most sense is, is a best practice. Um, we, we have seen an increase in focus on public cloud platforms as a target, um, but there are still quite a few workloads that land in private cloud, private data centers, um, hybrid cloud environments, not just hybridized by the mainframe, um, but you know hybrid between distributed systems and, and also hosted mainframe environments. So we're seeing a, a small group say, uh, you know, we, we love the mainframe. We want to stick with the mainframe. We just don't want to have to worry about um, facilities costs. And, and there are options out there for that. Does anything stand out to you guys about this? And, and in your experience, especially in the day to day with these folks, what have you found? Is there a different feeling amongst people when it comes to uh, cloud versus other alternatives in recent times? I'd say people either tend to be in it or not in it. So, so, so some people are very keen on cloud and have bought into the whole concept and the benefits of moving to the cloud. And they 
don't really want to hear about anything else. And then you've got some other guys who are still quite sceptical. Um, maybe they think they can do a better job of securing their own environments than they than than the cloud providers can do. You know, so um, it's it seems to be it seems to be a very split market out there. Although increasingly more and more people are, are, are deciding that the cloud is the right way to go, as far as I can see. Yeah, I think it's interesting, Rob, that cloud has taken pole position on that slide now. And I think in lots of the conversations we have, people probably don't go directly from mainframe to cloud. They go from mainframe to some data center somewhere or some private cloud with the opportunity to move to cloud at some point in the future. And I think what we've seen probably post-pandemic is that acceleration directly to cloud. And I think that lots of organizations have moved their x86 workload across the cloud and there you've got the big uh, mainframe kind of in the corner that um, they need to move that workload there too as part of that overall platform consolidation and strategy. That's a good point. I know that what I've seen on that um, that last slide was that um, Tim's point, people like the idea of moving to cloud, um, but they might not have a full cloud strategy for the enterprise kind of figured out. And so it's the private cloud or data center um, option, that middle ground is a safer, lower risk environment, less technical change um, for them. And so sometimes they'll go to that environment for a number of years, two years, three years, five years, whatever it might be, and then go to the cloud. And, you know, in, in retrospect, they say, if I had a clear path to the cloud already today, I might just skip the middle step. But a lot of them are still figuring out the details, especially of, you know, perhaps a mission critical decades old application that is, you know, a core intellectual property piece of the business. Sure, I could see that. And, and the risk that comes with making changes to that, they see it as as an intermediary step. Definitely. Right. Um, I, I found this interesting, curious about you guys' thoughts. Um, you know, Java has has grown in popularity as the, the enterprise development language over the years, so there's no huge surprise there, but uh, Python is is gaining, and obviously the use of Python and the use of Java are, are, are for tools for very different purposes. Um, Python tends to be a, a bit more uh, mobile app, focused um, and Java tends to be a bit more enterprise focused, but of course we have C-sharp.net and others. Um, is there anything tangible or, or what are you guys seeing out in your day-to-day -day experience that might speak to this a little bit? I mean, we're predominantly seeing people wanting to go to Java and C-sharp because I think people have a, an already a built up um, you know, capability in those areas. Um, but I think new technologies are coming and will eventually overtake some of the things. Um, my daughter's just finished her maths degree and she's learned Python and R, which seem to be very popular at the moment, both of those languages. Um, so I think, you know, as things develop and, and she didn't do anything in Java or C Sharp. So I think um, as, as things move forwards, um, we will find other technologies coming to the fore. So whilst at the moment, Java and C-sharp are prevalent, that probably won't always be the case at all. Yeah, 
Yeah, uh, I, think, yeah. I think that's probably I think that's probably fair, John. And, and I guess to your point, Rob, um, uh, certainly, I mean, Python is a hugely popular language. And if you look at the recruitment of skills for a particular language, I think Python edges Java nowadays. Um, but I guess for the sort of systems that you take off a mainframe, if you think of the transaction processing, then I think probably C Sharp and Java are better suited. Um, had that changed over time, it'd be interesting to see, but I think that's the case today. This episode is brought to you by Advanced, a leading provider of application modernization services with unique expertise in the mainframe modernization market. Find out more at oneadvance.com forward slash mainframe. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And uh, interesting to see in five years, you know, maybe Solidity and Rust find their way onto this list. But uh, I won't I won't count my chickens before they hatch. We we had a, a great question come in. Um, what about mainframe modernization in place? Uh, several organizations are finding that um, cloud isn't delivering the ROI they expected. And, and I think this raises a good point. Um, there is no silver bullet when it comes to modernization. And I think that's one of the key pieces uh, what you're trying to accomplish, the systems that you're trying to replace, the culture that you have within your company, uh, and and everything that revolves around that is really going to dictate what's best. We do uh, we call it from a from a marketer's perspective application consolidation. So that is you know taking everything to a single dialect of COBOL on the mainframe to simplify maintenance or something along those lines. Uh, we do plenty of those. Um, as well, and it really depends on the circumstances. Uh, when, when we're talking about cloud migration and, and a lot of the themes that we're discussing today, um, it, there is a broad trend, but there, there will always be, um, you know, in the details, those on mainframe modernizations and, and so on. So I found this one interesting, and, and I'm curious about what you guys think. Um, there is uh, obviously mainframes are monolithic in nature. That's that's the story. Uh, and in most cases, at least from my perspective, correct me if I'm wrong here, but but it appears as though when we step into these engagements, the, the priority is uh, extrication from the platform and then stepping into the function of the applications themselves and, and how those can be modernized as, as kind of a secondary process, um, you know, taking off small bytes as we go. Um, it appears as though that, that seems to be the same thing that folks are preferring, um, optimizing incrementally, peeling away different pieces based on need. Um, but there's also this concept of macro services, looking at the broader picture and, and dividing it into um, small functional pieces that make logical sense to remove and, and essentially getting to the cloud or getting to the target environment first and then peeling things away to optimize from within. What are you guys seeing? Yeah, I mean, typically our projects are a stepping stone on someone's journey to modernization. Um, so typically we're moving someone to a better place for them to move forwards. It's not the end of the journey. Um, so that fits in well with what you just said about on mainframe modernization, because, you know, a lot of 
a lot of modernization is about trying to standardize a little bit on the technologies you've got and reduce your reliance on maybe more um, bespoke or more uncommon technologies. So that's you know about a quarter of our projects at any one time um, on mainframe modernization to move people forwards. Um, but yeah, moving incrementally is very much the key to most people. Any kind of you know mass event is not good, <laughs> really, um, in general for most organisations. Um, so moving them forwards to somewhere where it's easier for them to then modernise is is great. We did a uh, modernisation insurance company in the UK, uh, and they since so that finished maybe six or seven years ago, and in the intervening six or seven years, they've modernised a they've rewritten and modernized about 50% of the functionality of the application, but they could, that's taken them six years. They could have never done it as a standalone project, just starting from scratch. You know, it's only because they're in a modern, they happen to be in a C-sharp SQL Server type world. It's only because they're already there, they could modernize a little piece at a time, you know, and move things forwards and change some functionality and, you know, make things more as they want them to be. So, so what we did was enabled them to then move forwards at, their, at a pace that they could manage. Interesting stuff. When we think about modernizing workloads and, and what people are trying to accomplish when they do that, and, and John, you know, as you point out, rewriting things and, and optimizing things for the environment that they're sitting in, one of the questions that we ask folks is, hey, listen, you know, clearly getting to the cloud is, is, is a growing trend in our space. What is it that's so attractive? Um, and to me, there isn't anything super surprising here. Obviously, scalability and elasticity, you know, the horizontal scale of, of cloud is, is what makes it um, so easily flexible. Uh, infrastructure as, as code, you know, the ability for there to be automated orchestration is, that is application driven is uh, cool and unique and, and required to accomplish a lot of new and innovative things. What are you guys hearing out there? What were your impressions? I think on, I think your point about scalability, I mean, it's interesting that is top of the list above having a managed cloud solution. I do wonder, Rob, whether that's a result of the pandemic. I think where we saw that unprecedented demand in some areas coming into certain systems, if you've got a fixed CPU ceiling, people were hitting that. Uh, so I can totally see why the horizontal scalability becomes really attractive in the post-pandemic time that we're in now. So it'd be interesting to see how that might have changed over time if we if we had that data. Yeah, agreed. I, I think that horizontal scalability was really underlined when in the early days of the disruption of the pandemic, for sure. So. John, you, you spoke about this early on and and this the available skills to work on this stuff is a uh, a recurring theme across all of the subjects that that were covered both from the original questionnaire as well as the follow up interviews um, from a from the downstream effect on the cost of acquiring and retaining resources um, to the risks associated with with various um, technologies or environments that have very few people out there able to work on them. Uh, it, it does appear as though the the feeling is that um, 
skills are decreasing more rapidly uh, than in the past. And whether that is, you know, a, a feeling that's come simply because of the macro environment or whether that simply is a, a side effect of the fact that, as John said, time goes on and people get older and you know, retirement is, is on the horizon for a lot of folks. Um, it, it does feel to our respondents as if, yes, the skills are decreasing and it does seem like they're decreasing more rapidly than 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 previously thought. Are there any exterior actors on this that, that you guys can comment on that you've seen in the past 12, 18 months? I think, I think Rob, um, I think it will continue to accelerate. So I mean, it, it's an interesting one because I remember back in the 1990s when they were saying that there'll be no COBOL programmers anymore. And here we are kind of 30 years later and, and there's still COBOL programmers. But of course, it is right. a finite resource pool. We know there's nobody coming out of colleges and universities learning COBOL. So, um, you know, you still got some of that demand with a, with a shrinking resource pool and it's just going to get smaller and smaller, I think. And then when we think back to the chart about languages and you've got some more esoteric things like assembler, which is even more difficult to, to source, then I think it's naturally got to decline it's not going to it's not going to suddenly disappear overnight but you know it's going to become a problem that, that worsens over time i think yeah, i mean we've heard about some organizations who've literally started their own <laughs> their own training schools to 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 get themselves some programmers for the for the skills that they're lacking you know so they're taking people out of college and trying to persuade them to to learn cobol or to learn you know assembler or something and um yeah i mean it's my, it doesn't seem to have been that successful because ultimately they don't want to learn it because what, what good's it for the future, you know? Um, and, you know, they don't have the experience of the, of the systems to help them understand it. So, you know, it's a, it's a sleep learning curve. Um, you know, a lot of the people now, um, especially when the people they're trying to replace, you know, have been working with Cobra in December for 30, 40 years. So, so, so the new guys coming in, of not only lacking the, not only need to learn the assembler and the COBOL, but they're also lacking the 30, 40 years of experience. So it's a tough, it's a tough gig to get people in. Yeah, yeah. Rob, the com Sorry. Go ahead. No, the comment that I would make on that is that um, it's not only kind of the technical experience, but it's the, this notion of a subject matter expert within an organization who knows these applications who might have been developed over dec literally decades. And so um, how did they, you know, do something with the database integration with the application? How did they integrate security? Why did they choose to architect the database in such a way that now the applications are layered over it? If I'm trying to take the applications off, I actually have to go and decouple how the database, you know, um, is a common aspect among all applications. And so the person who did that work, those people are, you know, are eventually, as John said, they're planning to retire at some point. And so I think a lot of organizations have kind of kicked the can down the road because they've had a luxury to do so. Um, but in some cases, they wait a little too long and we get brought in and then the first step is analysis and then we get back you know, feedback like, well, we don't know, quite know why that works that way. Although we, our organization, designed it, um, so it's not just 
I need somebody with COBOL skills. Or I need somebody with you know, IDMS skills or IMS database skills. I need somebody who knows why we did what we did 20 years ago so that we can redo it or undo it or do it better now. And I think that's one of the, you know, the technical debt penalties that you pay for kind of waiting a little too long. Yeah, it's a great point. And, and that is a call out that we that we saw across a lot of the interviews was, you know, our, our modernization process was made substantially easier by doing it while the people who understood the legacy systems were still aboard uh, and, you know, hadn't retired or moved on to other things. And both from a modernization process and understanding the logic perspective, but also post-modernization, um, you know, working with the teams to unpack whatever maintenance they may be doing after the fact, because in the end, you know, you still have similar structures. Um, so it's an incredibly good point. And, and of course, it depends on the technology you're dealing with and, and the systems and applications you're dealing with as to how, uh, how much of a risk the, the uh, resource scarcity really is. We asked which are the which are the um, consequences of of choosing not to modernize, and and this list changes every year as we get new uh, consequences listed from from respondents. Um, I, I found it interesting that the increased risk associated with system failure and downtime uh, was was as high as it was, um, and and wondered whether um, some of the sort of headline issues that appeared in in during the pandemic fed these opinions. Um, I, I think, you know, to the point of the conversations that we had earlier, you know, talent is a huge component of it. Gentlemen, what stood out on this on this to you? Yeah, I mean, I've got a story for you, Rob. So one of our projects that we did um, that finished a couple of years ago was for a county uh, on the west coast of America, who shall rename nameless. Um, but um, it was the prison system. So the system that managed all the prisoners in, in, in the prisons in that county. And we were, we were almost ready to go live. We were about six weeks away from going live. And the mainframe the system was currently running on broke. It was their own mainframe, in-house mainframe broke. The guy came to try and fix it. Uh, and he said, yeah, not really going to work out for you guys. It's broken and, you know, it's going to need all these parts and blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, there were all these people backed up in the prisons. No one could be admitted. You know, it was a bit of a crisis over a, over a sort of three, four day period. So we spent intensive time talking to them on the, on the uh, you know, decide, deciding whether to go live immediately with, with that system. In the end, the guy managed to patch up their mainframe with some, uh, you know, a bit of a scrap heap challenge kind of situation. And he said, you know, it'll probably, it might last a week, might last two weeks if you're lucky, but when it goes again, that's it, mate, you've had it. So the, the following weekend we went live with their system. And so they just about made it in time, let's say, before they were in a lot of trouble. Because if they hadn't have had the project going on, they hadn't have had a replacement system, they'd have had to, I don't know, buy a new mainframe or whatever they'd have had to do, they'd have had to pay you know, potentially millions to upgrade that mainframe for the one system that was left running on it, you know, because they, what could they do? You know, the prisons, they had to, they had to let people in and they had to let people out, you know, who were due to release. So they literally didn't know who was due for release, you know, anything about the prison system without the, without the, without the system. Wow. So that, so the risk of failure and downtime are a big, <laughs> yeah, a big, uh, a big issue for, for, for everybody really. 
That can happen to Fair anybody. Enough. Fair enough. I think the the interesting thing for me just on that slide, Rob, and I think we saw it on a previous slide, is um, you know cost is some way down the list, kind of at a, a midway point. We talk about how expensive mainframe is. Um, and of course, any modernization project needs to prove itself in terms of ROI. You wouldn't do it to then cost you more than it cost you before. But it's interesting to see that the list has, has moved. It's more focused on risk and the constraints that that environment or the lack of skills then impose on the organizational business. So it's that sort of risk of doing nothing or the inability to to, to move to meet market demands is becoming more important than just the cost of, of the mainframe itself. Yeah, I'd agree, yeah. Tim. Although the cost always needs to work, so the money always needs to add up for people to move forward. So, so whilst that might not be a, a consequence for them, ultimately there is a there always is a, a ROI, and that has to that has to work for people for them to move forwards with the modernisation. So I think on this slide, um, yeah, I think we have, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think on this side we were just seeing that our prevalent is um, that people want to that, that are doing modernisation projects. So certainly in the past, I think when they, when we've asked people this question, it's been um, you know there's been a far, a far fewer people who are actively doing modernisation projects, or maybe they did one five years ago or whatever, you know. But the vast majority of people are doing something about modernizing you know it's not as as i think when somebody said earlier dave i think said earlier there's no more kicking the can down the road um you know there's got to be something uh, you've got to do something that that time's over for just um, not doing anything do yeah it's interesting time? yeah it's interesting john that um you know you've you and i have been kind of working closely together for over a decade and it just seems within the past I don't know, 24, 36 months um, that there's been an uptick. Um, and I don't know whether it's cloud related, you know, the um, the increased, you know, uh, kind of comfort level to move things to the cloud. I don't know whether it's, you know, uh, you know, this perfect storm perhaps of that in addition to, you know, people getting to a critical age uh, and kind of aging out of the workforce or aging out of the desire, you know, to, to put in the extra the time and energy um, or realizing that, you know, a modernization effort, you know, isn't done overnight. You know, these applications are essentially optimized over decades and, you, you know, you're not going to replace them over decades. You want to replace it much more quickly than that to get a better ROI, obviously. Um, but it's not done overnight. You have to start, you know, the journey, you know, with, with the first step. Um, so it, it just seems like there's this uptick and, and more of a, an interest level to initiate a project and kind of move forward with a project, you know, where as an example, you know, we can talk to people for five or 10 years about all the pros and cons, but I think a lot of those people that we spoke to previously are now, you know, making, making that jump for a variety of reasons. 
Yeah, and, and can you guys hear me okay now? Yes. I, uh, I disappeared yeah, on the, the earth for a minute. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, I, I was shocked by I was shocked by this. Um, you know, obviously, I, I think that the the pandemic acted as, as a wake up call for a lot of folks. And, you know, everything you you gentlemen said is, is absolutely spot on. When it comes to the the approaches, patterns, disposition, strategies, whatever you'd like to call it, um, a, a couple of comments about this and then really interested in hearing what you guys have to say. Um, first is obviously, <clears throat> excuse me, the definitions of each of these things varies to some degree, depending on um, where you're coming from and who you are. Obviously, Gartner sort of invented the five R's back in 2010. Uh, and we've all co-opted them for, for our own various purposes. Uh, for, for the purpose of this questionnaire, we defined each of these outright so that we were sure that we wouldn't get a confusion of terminology. Um, from refactor, essentially what, what we are referring to is uh, converting code using automated tooling. Um, Rehost slash replatform is to retain the existing application code. So, you know, rehost COBOL, for example. Uh, replace would be to purchase software packages to replace the functionality. Rewrite engineer, rewrite slash re-engineer is to, to change the function and architecture of the applications as they're modernized. Uh, and then, of course, retire is to turn them off entirely. <clears throat> We've seen in the past that refactor tends to be the most popular approach because of all the things that we spoke about earlier. Um, but obviously, that everyone's situation isn't the same. Um, and you know, I think Tim, you had mentioned the the commentary in the '90s that was, you know, hey, there won't be any COBOL programmers left. Well, it turns out COBOL is a very popular programming language, and and while it may not be the top choice for uh, computer science graduates, it's still, you know, very widely practiced. Um, and, and there may be a situation, especially in the financial sector, that tends to move a bit, little bit more slowly uh, from a modernization perspective, where you have a, a great team of COBOL developers that's not going anywhere. And it's the infrastructure that you're most concerned about. Um, then then Rehost works in that case. Um, when When... In the early days, I guess, of, of when I was involved in the modernization industry, the conversation often began with, you know, we have this mainframe, uh, we, we know what it does, so we're just going to write modern versions of those applications and turn the mainframe off and we'll be good to go. Uh, and, and there was a, essentially a struggle that would ensue and a scope that would creep into infinity through that process. Um, and, and it appears as though the, um, the brute force rewrite re-engineer type of an approach to modernization, at least in, in the broader sense, has, has lost some of, its, uh, some of the steam that it had in the past, um, likely because of some negative experience associated with it. Um, what, do you guys, what do you guys think? What are your thoughts on, on these? Yeah, I think it's good that the, the it adds up to more than that. Oh, go on, go on, go on Tim. I'd add, I was just going to quickly 
say. I, I don't think it's unsurprising what we see there, Rob, and that's probably remained pretty consistent, I think, over the years we've done this. I think it's probably fair to point out as well that, you know, one size doesn't necessarily fit all. So you may have a mainframe with 30 applications, and, of course, you could take a different approach for each set of those applications. So some could be replaced by COTS, and some you may choose to refactor. So it's probably it's a combination of those things. And that might be what you're about to say, Johnson, is it? Yeah, that's exactly what I was about to say, actually, Tim. Yeah, yeah, that was exactly what I was about to say, that one, it's not a one-size-fits-all. And, um, right. and actually, you know, um, for, for one, one organization, all of those strategies might be applicable for different applications. Um, and, and part of it, to me, depends on the sort of longevity of the application and how long you think it's still going to be in place. You know, if it's something that's never going to go away, then maybe the effort of rewriting or re-engineering, it, it, it could be worth it, you know? But, and if it's something with a very short lifespan, then maybe re-hosting it can be okay. But refactor somewhere in between, you know, so something that's got a, a fairly decent lifespan uh, is key to the business, but basically performs the functionality that you need, then maybe a refactor is the way to go. So, so I, I, you know, it sort of depends on do the, does it meet the business need and how long is it going to be around to what is the right right strategy maybe for each application. Yeah, Rob, one of the things that we've seen um, in kind of the first step of a, a initiative is to kind of assess, you know, what is there in the platform in the environment, and and a lot of um, customers will come back to us and say. I want to see if you can validate my assumptions. In other words, I have a set of assumptions based upon what I think I know, but I want you to come in here, take the first step, show me your assessment, and then tell me, am, you know, is, is it a good idea for me to try to rewrite these specific applications? Is it a good idea for me to move this piece off the mainframe and maybe keep this on? Or if I move them, you know, everything off, to put this in a particular environment and that in a particular environment and will they work well together. So a lot of times people have a sense for kind of what they want to do, but they just want to get another opinion and they, they just want to get some more insight um, and to help them, you know, validate their roadmap. Absolutely. And, and understanding what other people who, who find themselves in similar situations have done, because I mean, it's, it, you know, like you guys have said, it's not always a black and white answer. Um, it, it depends on so many different pieces. Uh, and, and I think this also leads us to the, um, well, if I can get us there, having all kinds of fun times. Um, I, I think we, we spoke to some degree about this, um, you know, why, why someone chooses a particular strategy. Um, what I'd like to jump to is some of the challenges experienced. And I, I think that this is a really important part of the conversation because we, both as industry participants um, and, and as you know, myself as a marketer, focus on uh, the act of modernizing. Um, but one of the things that I think is really important when it comes to finding success, vendor selection, um, you know, ensuring that you've got the, the right resources, doing the right things to make sure that, that this is as smooth a process as possible is understanding some of the troubles that people have run into before. Um, I said it at the top of the, the hour, if, if you're looking for a silver bullet to modernize, then, then you will not find it. 
Um, it's it's not a simple process. The the industry exists as an industry for a reason. It is um, primarily driven by very complex um, systems and and experience in both using the systems, understanding the architecture of them to, to Dave's comment earlier, as well as experience going through modernization as an exercise is a humongous uh, prerequisite for realizing success. Um, you know, array out of bounds issues with older languages versus newer languages is, is just one of a million different things that can potentially come up that you might not realize is, is a, a hurdle that you have to jump over um, in the process of modernization, simply beyond designing a target state. And of course, code quality challenges. Um, not all tools and teams are created equal. And, and that's an incredibly important part of, of the, the process of sussing out the direction that you want to go. Um, gentlemen, do you have some commentary on this piece and, and some of the challenges that you've seen and, and what to consider in overcoming? Yeah, I think it's key, um, Rob, for people to talk for any organisation who's embarking on a on a modernisation to to talk to as many people as possible. Because for any organisation, they will only go through a few modernisations in the in you know over a, quite a long period, where there's people out there, you know, vendors like us and plenty of other vendors who, who offer migration services or modernisation services. Who this is what we do. So we've seen a lot of projects. So one of our one of the things that we can bring to the table, uh, us and people like us, is that experience, which is a key a key thing really for people to leverage to help them make the right decisions and the right way to go forwards. Because these projects aren't like normal IT projects. You know, normal IT projects you're trying to affect change and you're testing that whatever you wanted to change has changed. You know, with a modernization, quite often you're testing the exact opposite, that nothing changed. You know, everything's as it was, but just something, you know, you've got a new language or a new platform or, or something's changed. So when you start doing that, there are quite a lot of challenges. You know, the main mainframes are very forgiving. They do their best to carry on under all circumstances. And that's not quite the same in more modern environments where, you know, where you do something mad, you know, on the mainframe, it will just try its best to carry on and do its best with you. Whereas new environments will go, hang on a minute, that's mad. You're not allowed to do it. You know, so so there are a lot of challenges in these projects. And we've, you know, we've got the experience, you know, us and people like us have got the experience of being able to deal with those challenges. So it's vital for people to leverage that experience, I think. It's a key. Yeah, and, and, and planning for that to be part of the you know, allocation of time, resources, thought, et cetera, is, is a big piece too. Um, we, we asked folks, you know, when, when you have a modernization need, what are some of the challenges that you run into as you're expressing that need with, from within the organization? Um, and, and I thought it was interesting and, and this, these answers have remained the same over the years, but a lot of it revolves around a general lack of IT understanding from key decision makers in, in the company um, and the role of um, innovation engines like cloud, for example. Um, when in, in your experience, gentlemen, do any of these stand out particularly to you? Um, I, I know fear of change has certainly been one that we've run into a few times as well. Um, anything interesting? 
Fair enough. And finally, um, there is a massive movement um, for uh, ESG initiatives across the globe and reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And we were curious, as we are every year, where, where does that conversation come into play in the modernization process? Um, and, and there is always a, a substantial lean towards an improvement from um, an environmental impact perspective that comes with modernization. And it does appear as though these initiatives are more of a, uh, more of a priority among especially larger global organizations within the past year than they have been in the past. Uh, and, and we've seen quite a bit of commentary, especially in the follow-up uh, interviews about that impact. And of course, you know, the, the economies that come with scale, um, removing the facilities costs and overhead from an individual and, and taking it into a multi-tenant environment, obviously, you know, simply has some of those economies of scale at play. Uh, guys, any, any thoughts? on the ESG side of things. Yeah. yeah, I think mainframes are, you know, I mean, a lot of, you know, a lot of the older ones certainly are still water cooled. So there's a whole bunch of stuff going on um, to keep them running, a lot of electric required. So I'm sure it does help people's sustainability goals to get onto more modern equipment that will be a lot more efficient. And I think, I think you're right, Rob. I think that every large organization now has a policy around sustainability and you know the improvement of green so to speak um so i know that's obviously a, i don't think it's a decided factor as to whether you modernize but i think it's something that they look for as a an outcome to improve the position there absolutely excellent and and that brings us to the end of our of our talking points and overview um folks Hopefully, your biggest takeaway from this conversation is that there is no one-size-fits-all answer to modernization. The most important thing that you can do is understand your options, understand what others have learned going through the process, and listen to the experts on uh, things to pack before your journey, so to speak. If you haven't given the mainframe modernization business barometer report a read, um, highly suggest that you do so. We'll reach out to you after this uh, discussion to, to, to send you a link to give that a read uh, and very interested in your feedback. So please feel free to drop us more notes in the chat. If we missed one of your questions, we'll follow up after the fact. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Rob.